Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor John Gardea. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's holy word. What a pleasure it is to be able to come up here and, and preach God's word. Uh, Pastor Paul wanted to spend some quality time with his family. It's my understanding that uh, he now has a teenage daughter. Is, is that right, Faith? You're a teenager now. So happy birthday to you. Uh, I, I'm glad that you all had this time. Uh, so it was my joy and my privilege uh, to be able to preach today so Pastor Paul could get that break. So today we are going to be having a Christmas message and next week. Um, so I, I want to start off by telling you about what I experienced as a child going through Christmas. And, and this is what I remember as a child, that when December rolled around, I just really, really was excited. I just got those warm, fuzzy feelings. This is the favorite time of year for me. And sitting by the Christmas tree, I would just look up and I would marvel at the lights. And I would drink hot chocolate while watching my favorite Christmas shows. I remember I would watch shows like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and watch the Charlie Brown's Christmas. And then my family, we would go outside and we would hang the Christmas lights all over the house and it would turn into a competition with our neighbors to see who could hang the most lights. And then at night we would hop in the car and we would drive around and it was, it was magical. It was like driving through a winter wonderland. And, and I just remember how wonderful that feeling was. And then a very spe special time that I would spend with my mom, we would turn on Christmas music and we would start making Christmas cookies. And then of course the best time, the, the best part of that is that we get to eat the Christmas cookies afterwards. And then come Christmas Eve, we would all, uh, my family and our extended family and my cousins, I have a huge family. And we would all go to my aunt's house on Christmas Eve. And we are um, a Hispanic family, so my aunt would serve the most delicious Hispanic Mexican food. We would have uh, ham and turkey, even though that's not very Hispanic, but we'd also have uh, tamales, and we would have chili con queso, and we'd have guacamole, and we would have frijoles, but they were made with the animal lard. So. <laughs> They were, they were the best. It was just amazing how good things taste with lard. And then my aunt, she could make the best desserts. I, I can't even begin to explain how good they are. She would make lemon squares and cookies and cakes and these chocolate eclairs that when you would bite into them, I mean, it was just like chocolate bliss. It was amazing. And then, after we were done eating, right, we're all just kind of sitting around in a, in a chocolate coma, we would just share the desires of the heart, of our hearts, thinking about the treasures that we would receive under the tree the next morning. And it's that one time of year when kids are just eager to go to bed because they want to wake up to those gifts on Christmas morning. Now, I'm sure each and every one of you have these fond memories. We all have our own memories of Christmas's past. But as I reflect on these very warm memories of my childhood, the one question that I ask is, where was Christ in my Christmas? You know, I remember hearing the story of the birth of Christ. But unfortunately, even though I would hear that story, Christ was not the center of my Christmas. And really, of, of any of my family members, Christmas was all about, really, when you got down to it, 
It was about receiving gifts. That's what we were excited, exciting about. Um, that, that's one of the traditions I think that we all can fall into the tra uh, trap of is we get excited about receiving these gifts that are material objects. You know, and, and on top of that, uh, many times you feel obligated to buy somebody a gift. It's not because you, you want to buy them a gift, but you're afraid that you might hurt their feelings. And I'm like, God, I'm just going to buy them something. Um, <clears throat> that just happens so often. Uh, or you buy somebody a gift because you know that they're going to buy you a gift. So you just feel like you're obligated to do so. Isn't that so true? So where did the idea of gift giving come from anyway? Well, there's a good chance that it came from the wise men who came and they, give, they presented these gifts to baby Jesus. Uh, and as you know, uh, shortly after Jesus was born, the, the wise men who had traveled hundreds of miles they came to honor the birth of the Messiah. And these wise men, they had followed the star of Bethlehem until they found baby Jesus, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they presented the, uh, baby Jesus with three gifts. And I think that's why we associate uh, that there were three wise men because of the three gifts. But there could have been more. So the gifts that were presented were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, ironically, even though these gifts were presented to baby Jesus by the wise men, it really is Jesus who is the one who is giving us the perfect gifts to those, to those of us who are trusting in him. Now, each of these gifts that the wise men gave to Christ is symbolic. For instance, gold points to Jesus' royalty. And gold is an acknowledgement of royalty. Uh, frankincense was uh, the acknowledgement of Jesus as our high priest. Um, as you know, frankincense was used by the priest to burn in the, in the temples. And then there was myrrh, which pointed to the humanity of Jesus. It was symbolic of, of Jesus' humanity. And myrrh is a very, very expensive perfume. Um, I know when Mary anointed Jesus, she used myrrh. And um, myrrh, uh, for a pound of it uh, back then, a pound was equal to about 12 ounces. And it probably cost about 300 denarii, which was worth about a year's worth of wages. So it was extremely expensive. So perfume was used to put on those who had died. And of course, as you know, Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sinners. So the point is, it is God that gives us the perfect gifts in Christ. And Christ is the reason for the season. So the gifts that Christ gives us, first of all, is that he came as a man. Another gift would be that Jesus is our high priest. And another gift is that Jesus is our king. And without these gifts, salvation would not be possible. So unfortunately, many people, and including Christians, have forgotten the true meaning of the gifts that Christ offers us. And he does offers us, uh, offers us so many gifts, of course, salvation being the most important. But today, in our society, gift-giving has become self-centered and it has become materialistic. And even burdensome because of how it stresses us. Maybe it stresses your pocketbook or you just feel all the pressure of having to buy all these gifts. So if you think about it, if I were to ask you, what did you get for Christmas last year? Do you remember? 
Or if we back it up a little bit further and I were to say, well, what did you get the year before that? Can you remember the Christmas gifts that you received two years ago? Are they lost in some closet? Maybe you no longer even have these gifts. Maybe you sold them in a garage sale. So my question would be, why do we treasure material objects so much? Well, the Bible tells us. It tells us, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So where should the desires of your heart be? And in Matthew 6.20, it tells us to store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And one of my favorite verses is that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above from our Heavenly Father. So in today's sermon, I want, I want us all to consider the perfect gifts that the Lord has given us in Christ. Amen. Because it is these perfect gifts where we can find the true meaning of Christmas. We need to stay away from Christmas according to the world. Now, we all know the story, the Christmas story. We're, we're very familiar with the story of baby Jesus who was born in a manger in a town in the town of Bethlehem. And he was born uh, from the parents of Joseph and Mary. However, of course, we know that Mary was a virgin and the power of the Most High overshadowed her, overshadowed her, and thus, the Son of God was born. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field, nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel assured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, and the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what, they had, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary, keeping all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told him. And this is a wonderful story. I, and if I, I close my eyes and I can just imagine what the shepherds, what they saw when the armies of heaven appeared before them. Oh, how I would have loved to have been there. But this really, this is really just the beginning of the story. We really need to back up even further so we can get the big picture of the Christmas story. So we actually need to go much further back into time. 
So the real story of Christmas actually begins thousands of years before the birth of Christ, where God created man without sin and placed him into a garden. And everything was good. Man was without sin. But then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And as a result, the human race was cursed. As a result, all men fell into sin and became enemies of God. And men rebelled against God and they violated his law. And being that God is perfect in every way, he has to be just. He has to judge righteously. And this is really very bad news for mankind. Because the cost of sin, even the smallest of sin, is eternal death. Completely and totally separated from God. And God can rightfully punish sinners and throw them into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. The penalty for sin can never be paid by a person other, than, of course, than Jesus Christ. That message gets kind of heavy when it does get heavy and should be sobering to each one of us because we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But God, isn't that a wonderful statement? But God demonstrated his love for us by providing a substitute to bear the punishment for sinners. For me and you, God the Father sends his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus became a man and lived a sinless life so that he could die for the sins of men. Despite living a holy and a sinless life, Jesus Christ was bitten, beaten. He was crucified on a cross, just like a criminal, as if he were the one who committed the sin. And that's why Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb. Just as John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ fully satisfied the justice of God by dying on the cross. Punish for the sins of men. He was crushed for our sins and upon him was the, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. It was with the it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life, he was the perfect sacrifice, and for that reason, he was resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. For the glory of God, Jesus Christ is exalted as Lord over all. And for those who believe, he paid, he paid the penalty for sin. This is the real Christmas story. And it goes so much deeper than just the, the looking at the story of the baby Jesus in, in a manger. The true and perfect gifts of Christmas are wrapped in the gospel, which was foreordained before the foundation of the world. The gifts that God has given us, they don't fade away like the material objects that we receive for under the tree, the gifts of the world. So this morning I want us to consider the three perfect gifts from God that we can treasure in our hearts. First of all is the humanity of Jesus. Second, Jesus is our high priest 
And the third gift is that Jesus is our king. So let's first start off by looking at the humanity of Christ. Um, you can just follow along with me. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 says, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow for those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. And you know, really, just as Paul says, I marvel at these verses. At the same time, I get brain freeze. The Apostle Paul tells us in, in verse 6 that God, that Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And this is absolutely amazing because Jesus, for all of eternity past and present and future, is God. In every way, Jesus is God. And he even makes that statement during his earthly ministry. For an example, one of my favorite verses is in John 8:58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, Jesus is making reference to Exodus 3.14, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, because of this statement, what did the Jews do? They started picking up stones and they wanted to throw them at Jesus because of what he had said, because of what this statement meant. Now, even though Jesus is God, he was willing for a time period to give up his rights and privilege and honor, to, uh, and honor of a deity to become fully man. To be clear that God is, that Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Just like Paul said, a thing to be grasped. Now, yeah, hallelujah, absolutely. Um, another verse that I would like to um, read to you, stating that Jesus is both God and man, would of, course, would of course come from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, which says, in the beginning was the word. Now, if you look at this in the Bible, word is capitalized. So, who is the word? Jesus, of course. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things in came into beginning through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So in other words, Jesus is eternal, and he is our creator. And then if we skip down to verse 14, it says, in the same chapter, chapter 1, it says, And the word, capital W, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who became flesh? Jesus. And something else that truly amazes me when we think about the story of Jesus is that when Jesus entered into this world, he did so as a baby. 
as an infant. And he is seemingly vulnerable. What's he vulnerable to? Well, Satan surely is around. So is his demonic forces. And of course, there's evil man. Remember in Matthew chapter 2, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged. He was so upset that he ordered all the males who were under the age of two, from two below, in Bethlehem and in the vicinity, they were to be put to death. He had full knowledge of the prophecy of the Messiah, so he was actively targeting the life of Christ, even to the point of murdering all the babies in the area. That's evil. Over the years, as Jesus grew, he experienced life just like me and you. Again, a thing to be grasped. Jesus, he lived with his parents, Joseph and Mary, who had, and he had brothers and sisters. And for those of you who are living with a family, especially a larger family, you can understand what it's like living with your family with sibling rivalries, right? Kids disobeying their parents. I just wonder if I could only look and see how Jesus reacted with his parents and with his brothers and sisters because he led a sinless life. What did that look like in the house? It's amazing. Jesus was human in every way. He became hungry and thirsty. He experienced emotions. As he labored, as you know, he was a carpenter. He would sweat. The sweat would come off of his head because of his labor. And the Bible demonstrates the humanity of Jesus in several verses. Luke 2.40, he grew in wisdom as a child. Uh, John 4.6, he became weary. Matthew 4, he was hungry. John 19.28, he was thirsty. Matthew chapter 4, he was tempted by the devil. Matthew 26.38, he was sorrowful. And John 11.35, Jesus wept. So I ask you, why was it necessary for Jesus to take on humanity? Well, in all of the world history, no other human can claim to be without sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So this is a problem for all who are born into this world. Sin came in through the first Adam. Therefore, all people have sinned by the fact that they are in Adam, the first Adam. So what's the solution for sinful men? Just as man brought sin and death into the world, sin and death needed to be removed by a man. So let me repeat that again. Just as a man brought sin and death into the world, sin needed to be removed by a man. And Jesus is that man. Jesus, who is the last Adam, who is, he is the second Adam, came to succeed where the first Adam failed in keeping the law of God. And Christ lived a perfect and sinless life. Therefore was the perfect sacrificial lamb. And Jesus did this so that his righteousness could be transferred to those who put their faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' humanity is also an example for all believers to see how we are to live our lives. And as Christians, 
We need to imitate the life of Christ. We are called to live our lives as he lived his, in obedience to the Father, having humility, loving others, loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. That is such a huge command. As Christians, we must know God's word. God gave us his word, the Bible. And as you know, this life is full of all kinds of trials and tribulations. And we are faced with all kinds of stuff on a daily basis. There are all kinds of temptations out there. We suffer, we face hatred. We are confronted by the things of the world. But we can look at Christ and know how to live. Which brings us to the next gift. Jesus as our high priest, who now stands before the Father as our mediator. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So why do we need a high priest? We all need a high priest, every single one of us, and this is because no one can approach God without a mediator. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ. And the Bible, this is very important, tells us that blood is required for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. It is by the blood of Jesus that atones for our sins. By his blood we are washed clean. And in Hebrews 10.19 it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and the full assurance of faith. Jesus is our high priest who mediates between us and God. His sacrifice is what provides cleaning for the sins that we have committed. And rather than a yearly or even a daily atonement, Jesus sacrifices once and for all. Which leads me to think, but what about those who were born before Christ? What did they do? Well, the old covenant called for animal sacrifice for the atonement of sins. And this is really a foreshadow of Jesus' perfect sacrifice by the spilling of by the spilling of his blood on the cross. And there are really many foreshadows that we can see in the Old Testament of Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. So let me just name, uh, let me point you to a few of these uh, examples in the Bible that are a foreshadow. Um, the first animal sacrifice was made by God when he clothed Adam. Adam and Eve, actually. So he uses the skin of animals to cover them. So it's a picture of the covering of sin, which is in Genesis 3.21. And then there is Abel who makes an animal sacrifice that is acceptable to God because that's what God had um, asked for, whereas Cain offered um, the, the fruits and, and the vegetables, which were not acceptable. And then, of course, there was Abraham, who is going to sac sacrifice his, his son 
Isaac. But Abraham has the faith and he knows that God, even if God raises his son back to life, he knows that his son Isaac is going to live because he has that faith in the Lord. But then God himself provides the sacrificial lamb. And then during Moses' time, a spot, the, uh, the Passover lamb was required on the night that God sent death upon the firstborn males of Egypt. And so the Israelites were told by God to take some blood and to, to put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil, which is a picture of the cross. And those who obeyed the Lord were spared of this plague. And then when the Mosaic laws established, God commanded that the nation of Israel perform these animal sacrifices according to specific procedures. And these procedures were very detailed and very specific. And this was to show the seriousness of sin. The animal, first of all, it had to be spotless. In other words, you just couldn't pick out the runt of the flock. Because this sacrifice was to the Lord. So the animal should be the best, the unblemished animal. And the person who was, who was offering the sacrifice, um, he had to inflict death upon the animal. So one in, when it was done in faith, this sacrifice provided temporary coverings for sin. And so the high priest performing a sin offering would to what they would do is they would take two male goats and one of the goats was sacrificed for sin as a sin offering for the people while the other goat was released into the wilderness to a remote area and would bear the iniquities of that person's sin so the sin offering provides forgiveness while the other goat provided the removal of sin now I ask you, why animals? What did the animal do wrong? And that's really the point. Since the animal did no wrong, they died in the place of the sinner performing the sacrifice. The animal served as a substitute for sin. And if we think about it, over all of the years that these sacrifices were done in the Old Covenant, Millions of animals were slaughtered by the Jewish priest. And it happened for so long. So many animals that were slaughtered that the historians said that the priest would be wading in blood that was up to their knees. So the spilling of the blood from these animals illustrates just how serious sin is. And animal sacrifices really essentially were just like a bandage. They acted as a covering for sin. And in Hebrews 4 it tells, it tells us, For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And under the old covenant, the priest and the ministers before the altar would work day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and again which would never take away sins it was an endless labor for the priest who were standing continuously because of how much they had to labor they never got a chance to sit down but our high priest Jesus Christ offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And Jesus Christ is our high priest, is the perfect gift because he is the perfect and unblemished lamb of God. But that by one offering, he forever made perfect those who are holy. And the Holy Spirit testifies and says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people. And on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and I will write them on their minds. 
I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. It is finished. And the most important thing for believers to understand is that because Jesus is our high priest, now we can approach God with confidence. Jesus has broken the barrier, made that one-time sacrifice, established a new covenant, and reinstituted our relationship with God. Because of our high priest, we have the freedom to come to God. What a great and merciful God we have. That there, therefore, is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a gift. And the third perfect gift is that Jesus is our King. You know, in America, the office of president would be the closest leadership role that we can compare to a king during Jesus' time. And if I were to ask you to think back in your lifetime and just think about all the presidents that you can remember, I would ask you this question. How many of them were excellent leaders? Now, whether you are Democrat or Republican, I believe that we can all agree that none of our presidents have been perfect. Far from it. Some have been better than others. But it's not my intention to make a political statement. The point that I want to make to you is that Jesus Christ is the perfect king who loves his people who cares about his people? I ask you, do you think a president of the United States has had that kind of love for the people? Has he cared for them in the same way where he would even sacrifice his own life? Let's consider the triumphal, the triumphal entry which is, by the way, is reported in all four Gospels. Now, the week before the triumphal entry, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And word of this miracle had spread throughout the land. And the chief priest and the Pharisees knew that Jesus had performed many miracles and many signs, including the raising of Lazarus. Yet they refused to believe in Jesus. Their fear was that everyone would start believing in Jesus because of what Jesus was doing. Which, of course, the reason why they had this fear is because it was a threat to their position of power and they didn't want to lose that power. So what did the, the chief priest and the Pharisees do? They made plans, and their plan was to kill Jesus and Lazarus. You want to get Lazarus out of the picture, too, because you don't want him to be seen by the people and reminded of Jesus' miracle. So they wanted to kill them. Now, I want you to consider the crowd and just how large the crowd was it was in Jerusalem because this is the time of the Passover. And so many of the Jews were coming to the temple at that time uh, to make their, their sacrifice. There could have been anywhere of up to two million. I mean, we can't really say for sure. Scripture doesn't say how many people were there. But surely there were hundreds of thousands of people because especially at that time because the multitude had heard about Jesus and they heard that he was coming to Jerusalem. So I want you to think about if you could be in the crowd 
what would you hear from the people? What would they be talking about? Surely they were having conversations among themselves, talking about what they had seen because there were so many eyewitnesses were, uh, of Jesus' miracles, right? They had seen Jesus heal the sick, cleanse the leper. He allowed the lame to walk. The deaf could hear, the blind could see, the mute could speak. And people were freed from demonic possession. Jesus fed the multitude and he raised the dead. So the people, they saw Jesus and they said, this is the Messiah. So they, the people, they took the palm trees and they spread them on the ground and they put their cloaks and they spread them on the ground as to make a royal road for a king. The Jews recognized Jesus to be the king of the Jews. And then they waved the palm branches in the air, if you could just picture the scene. Now I want you to understand the importance of this. Because waving the palm branches in the air had become a national symbol that, sing that signaled the hope for the Messiah to liberate the Jewish people. And as, Jewish, uh, uh, as Jesus approached the Jews, what did the people say? They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now the word Hosanna means give salvation now. And the next statement that they made, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this was quoted from Psalm 118. And the Jews were very familiar with this because this was part of a song that, they would, that the choir temple would sing before a certain feast. And then the last part of their statement that they made. Even the king of Israel. So this indicates that they identify Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And as he entered into Jerusalem, how does he, in, how does he enter? In complete humility, he rides in on a donkey's colt. Now, typically, when a prince or, or a king entered into a region, they would do so in a great procession. They would be riding on a big and beautiful steed, if you can just picture the scene. To give you an idea, for those of you who ever have seen the, the Walt Disney movie, Aladdin, this might kind of give you an idea. Um, when Aladdin, he was posing as a prince, he rides into the city in this great, huge procession. And because he's posing as a prince, he's calling himself Prince Ali of Ababwa. And everyone is singing and dancing in this caravan to bring honor to the prince of, who is Ali. And as he's riding in, he comes riding in on this huge elephant that's decorated. And the people in the caravan are singing about how great the prince is and all the riches that he possesses. You know, and although it's just a Disney movie, there's a truth to it because royalty loved to draw attention to themselves when they entered into a region. It is as to say, look at me and how great I am. What a great ruler. I am. Is this the picture that Jesus paints as he rides into Jerusalem? He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He, he is God. And rather riding in on a great white steed like you would expect him to, he rides in on a donkey's colt. This is a very small animal, right? In comparison to a steed, 
This is a small animal. Jesus most likely had to pick up his feet so that his feet wouldn't drag on the ground. That's how small this animal would be. And it's amazing to know that this event was prophesied 500 years before the birth of Christ in Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation he is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a coal, colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now this prophecy sheds all kind of light for us. And it tells us about the characteristics of Jesus. First of all, that Jesus is king. And our king, he is just our King, Jesus Christ, brings salvation. Our King, Jesus Christ, is humble. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he knows that he's riding to his death. And every time I read about the triumphal entry, I just wonder what was Jesus thinking about as the people hailed him as king. Jesus knew that just in a few days, these very same, same people who are crying out, Hosanna! These same people would be shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Jesus, he continues he doesn't stop. He keeps going all the way to the cross. And while Jesus was being crucified on the cross, he calls out to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I ask you, how great of a king do we have Despite the way he was treated, he endured the pain, he endured the suffering, even to the point of death. All for the wretched people who don't deserve to be forgiven. This is what our king did for us. Because you and I are just as guilty as the people that were there that day. Because you and I are sinners just like they are. Yet our king loves us so much that his love held him to the cross. And in closing today, I ask you to keep these gifts that Jesus Christ has given you in himself. And to keep these gifts near and dear to your heart. Jesus is the reason for the season. So when you go out this Christmas season, and somebody says to you, Happy Holidays! You say, Merry Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Cherish these gifts that Jesus has given you. Adam has ushered sin into the world through his disobedience. But Jesus, being fully man, removes sin through his obedience. Being raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. Because it is a finished work, he doesn't have to stand. It's done. So he can sit down. And as our high priest, Christ is interceding for us even right now. And you know what's so amazing? When you think about Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 9, 6, and 7, what we, wrote, what we read about today. This is the future picture of Jesus ruling as our king. And we can rejoice and celebrate because I don't know about you, 
I'm tired of the way the governments of the world are running things full of hatred, full of greed. Our politicians are all about themselves. But our good and our perfect king loves you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus, who was fully God, yet fully man, born into this world to save sinners, he is the only begotten from God the Father, and the father was willing to send his precious son because of the love that he has for me and you. Emmanuel, God with us, born in the royal line of David. He will rule the nations of the world. The government will be on his shoulder. This is the future hope that we have forward to, to look at. It will be a rule that will be perfect. He will be the best leader this world has ever known because he is perfect. Our wonderful counselor will rule with supernatural wisdom. He will have the knowledge and the understanding of how to perfectly rule. Our God will defeat all evil once and for all. And I can only imagine what our world will be like without corruption, without theft, without murder, without rape, without pride, without evil. Our Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be our everlasting Father for all of eternity. The government of our King and the Lord will, be, will bring peace among all nations throughout the world. There will be no end to his throne. And Jesus will be just in his rule and he will uphold it righteously forever and ever. Jesus is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. This is the promise from our Lord. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. All this is the gift that he has given us. How can any material object that you're going to receive under the tree compare to this? Where is Jesus? in your Christmas and not only this Christmas but he should be here in your heart where his word is written in and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit because you are in Christ this is the only gift that matters and all of God's people said Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near UTEP. If you have any questions, you can dial 915 308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org 
We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete.